All right, Jessica, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Mandy. Yeah, in the intro, I know I say this, but you are the co-owner of a successful dental spa in Wisconsin, um, and you also do consulting for your own company. And uh, the purpose of what we're talking about today, which I thought is so relevant to this audience, is uh, nervousness, anxiety, and fear amongst potential patients. I think in, in what we do anyway, it's a huge reason why people don't make it to the finish line. They don't, they don't get the procedure. They don't get the treatment. They don't get the surgery, not necessarily because they don't have the money, even though that's what everyone says. I think the majority of the time it's because they got cold feet. And so uh, a few bullet points for you and I to cover today. Number one, where is nervousness possibly created in that patient journey in the clinic? Uh, number two, how does that fear and unpredictability hurt the clinic financially? And, um, and then at the end, if we have time, you giving a few of those examples of just some ways to take away that fear or remove that, that stress and anxiety. So this will be a fun one. And, um, yeah, I'll let, I'll let you start with where are those spots in a, in a practice that you see, um, the fear is created. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And not to sound discouraging or, or daunting, but it's kind of around every corner and <laughs> that sounds terrible, but, um, Every detail of the patient journey can either eliminate fear or can, you know, exacerbate it. And so I think for most people that have anxious feelings about healthcare, it probably comes from their mindset, probably from an experience they've had before that wasn't pleasant or a story they heard or whatnot. So it's usually started internally, but then if they come with that lens, they're going to, you know, kind of look for other indicators that that fear is substantiated. And so if the phone call that they make to the clinic is not executed well, um, if the experience of them walking in and having to fill out some paperwork isn't smooth and makes their process a little more fumbly, that, that can contribute, right? There's so many little moments in that journey that can really cause the patient to go, ah, I, Yep. I can't do this. This, this, uh, verified what I was concerned about and I'm not going to move forward. So I know that's not like a great answer. Like there's not a quick fix. <laughs> um, I know that's a daunting thought of like, oh, we have to fix everything. Um, it sounds like it in the beginning, but the reality is it's, is that it's small details that really are easy to modify that we can change to make it much better. So I don't know if that, that helps, but yeah, no, that helps a ton. I, I think we see that often is, uh, you know, everyone else thinks about themselves as a consumer and things just sometimes they feel right or they feel off. It's not necessarily one thing that happened, but yeah, I think you, a lot of times see uh, a lot of patients, they don't even make the phone call. So, you know, you, you don't see this whole layer of patients because they never reached out to you. They saw something on your site or read something or heard something or saw a review and they're out. Number two, People did make the call. They did fill out the form. They did come into the clinic, but because of their spidey sense tingling, yeah, <laughs> it just, it just wasn't right. And I think you're right. People have a, I think a, a surgeon explained it this way to me. He said, Hey, I think every patient has a little angel and that little devil on their shoulder. And as they're coming through your clinic, they're hearing, they're hearing from both like, ah, oh, see, this is great. This is, this is a great next step. I knew this was a good, I like these people or, oh, see, they, They've messed up the time of your appointment and this is not important. And this is just a sign. You should not have come in here. Don't come back. 
Yeah, anxiety is a fickle thing. And, um, you know, they're looking for, they want to trust you, right? They know that they need this treatment. Um, Hopefully you've convinced them of that or they know that themselves. And so if we can set the team up to really nail the patient experience, then that barrier gets removed. We can either prove to them that their, their fear that's underlying is accurate by, you know, fumbling and misstepping at every corner, or, you know, you can execute it really well and, and lead them through the execution of the treatment and hopefully change their mindset for the next time. Yeah. Yeah. So second bullet point, let's talk about, and you can use real examples or we can, I can throw up, uh, or not throw up. I'm going to throw out different (laughs) price points, but let's talk about for a second, the cost of this problem. I think I think most people do not sit down and put pen to paper and say, hey, how how much is this costing us on a monthly basis? Can you speak to that? I can. I mean, so my husband is a a dentist, right? So I know the dental business quite well. I can't speak to, you know, specific areas of surgery or, you know, things that I don't know what what things cost in every situation and any healthcare situation. But what I can tell you is that even on the very low end, it's thousands and thousands of dollars that this is costing a clinic to not address patient anxiety. And so to give you some facts and figures on it from the dental perspective, which is much smaller scale than a lot of healthcare um, treatment options, you know, like one failed visit can cost every one failed visit per week can cost a dental practice $30,000 at minimum, because we're looking at not only the failed cost of that specific treatment that day, but then the diagnosis of further treatment. And so um, it, it's very costly. And then if you look at the admin time that it requires to, you know, try to fill the schedule when someone does, you know, cancel or fail an appointment, that's very substantial. Um the marketing money that goes into acquiring new people to come through the door is very costly. At, at minimum, it's it's thousands of dollars every month that it's costing each each clinic. Not to mention, you know, the the word of mouth, the review, the patient satisfaction stuff that we now know gets put everywhere, and you know, people talk about it um, amongst themselves. But now, as now that we have a virtual platform to put that that can be catastrophic as well. If something is negative and then it's blasted online, you know, that can create a, a negative reputation for the practice, which I don't know if you can put a, a number on that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And then just thinking of some of the specialties we work for just beyond the visit and the procedure or the treatment, there's some people have supplements or product that they sell mm-hmm. uh, on the way out in the, in the store. Some people have an online store and yes, like you said, for most for most specialties, I think you can say every happy, successful patient is worth two more. So yeah, I I don't want to overstate it, but you could easily get to 30, 50K a month that this problem creates. And it's it's invisible because that number doesn't show up on your, your PL. Exactly. Um, so okay. And then the the good stuff, let's yeah. let's start with even if this is for a, you know, this is a busy doctor, a busy practice manager, if they said, you know, this just seems overwhelming. I'm not, I'm not going to start meeting with the staff every day for an hour to train on soft skills and, and customer service. So what are the big things someone could just mentally note and say, okay, if you could do these, focus on these few things, you'd be miles ahead. What, what Mm -hmm. comes up? 
So the first thing that comes to mind when you say that that costs nothing and doesn't change much is is listening. And whether that's over the phone, whether that's, you know, at the check-in process, whether it's as you're, you know, seating a patient in an exam room or treatment room, you know, having a team that is ready to listen and and able to provide some empathy in that process is huge. Patients, everyone wants to feel special. Everyone wants to feel understood. And um, I think, you know, so often in healthcare, you know, the, the people that are doing the work are focused on, well, staying on schedule, doing the procedure correctly, right? There's a lot of things that we need to focus on and the patient's feelings and, you know, what they might need to share or say or ask sometimes gets pushed aside because we're trying to run businesses and stay um, stay on on time. And so just keeping the, the thought in mind that if someone starts to share something to listen, could go a very long way. If if they're not, if they don't feel listened to and understood, they might just leave. They might they might not come back. So that would be the first thing. The that doesn't cost anything. It maybe costs a little bit of time, but I, I do believe that the time that you take in the beginning of that um, makes up itself in, in dividends on the back end of that. So um, the second thing would be finding a way to collect information about how the patient is feeling. Now, this could be done as part of patient paperwork, right? Like we ask them a million questions about their health history. We, um, you know, there's all kinds of financial forms to fill out. There's a lot of stuff there and most of it's for our benefit. But what if there was a way to collect how they feel about coming in for care, asking pointed questions about, you know, maybe triggers that might occur in the experience in the dental world, for example, there's sounds, there's smells, there's there's seeing instruments that can be off-putting. There's um, a lot of common, in every industry, there are common triggers that, that a patient might encounter in that visit. Identifying those and giving them, the patient, the language to articulate, yeah, that actually makes me a little uneasy, so that the team can then accommodate that is huge. And whether you have a lot of things you can do to accommodate it or not, just asking those questions helps the patient feel more understood. I think what goes along with that is communication. So whether it's the team communicating with one another about how a patient is feeling, if they've disclosed anxious feelings, that's that's great. The patient does not want to have to tell their story over and over and over again. So if we can transfer trust amongst the clinical, the team that's working with the patient and let the patient know, hey, I'm so glad you shared this with me. I'm going to let the next person know about this so that they're able to take really great care of you. Again, it just lets the patient feel nurtured and understood and taken care of on another level. Um, I think that's crucial in if you're going to ask just to be sure you're communicating that amongst members of the team and then communicating with the patient what those expectations might be for them so they can prepare accordingly. How long will they be there? What will the visit entail? And so I think a lot of times the anxious feelings come from fear of the unknown. And so the more we can give them those expectations of what, what will happen at that visit, the more we can put them at ease and or answer questions they might have ahead of time to then save time later. Mm, that's fantastic. Yes. Two things you said, uh, setting expectations. I went through, a, it was actually a sales training years and years ago, and they called it, uh, they said, show the show the whole chain, sell the first link, meaning one of the first interactions with that person should be, hey, mm. you probably, you never been here before, so you probably don't know how it works. 
here's what's going to happen today. You'll see this person, then you'll go back with this person, and then they'll do this and that and this. And then at the end, you will decide if, you know, whatever, treatment's for you. So now instead of, you know, right, every person who comes up, I think, okay, this is it. They're going to ask for my credit card. Okay, they're going to put something in my mouth. You don't know. And so there's anxiety because you're blind to the next step. And so just laying it all out and saying, this is what today looks like. Uh, that That's a great point by you. Um, and then you said something else about uh, asking them how they're feeling. And I've, I can't remember who it was, but they did a great job of saying, hey, uh, do you have any questions? And a lot of people have questions, but they don't know what they are. And so, man, I wish I could remember who it was, but they, they would bring up and say, well, a lot of people at this point are feeling this, this, and this, is any of that you? And it's like, yeah, actually, yes, I'm, I'm afraid that you guys are going to cut my mouth. And, and so then you can address it. At least it's open and it's known. Exactly. And I think if you know, want to dive deeper into that, you know, it's asking them what they could, what the team could do to help make it better. Right. If they do disclose, like, you know, I'm feeling a little anxious today about my visit and it's maybe on a form. And the way I normally show teams how to do it is to, you know, give them like a checklist of I'm really comfortable. I feel great about being here today. That's one option. Um, I'm a little bit nervous. I, I have, you know, a little bit, a bit of anxiety or whatever. That's another option. I'm, you know, quite a bit nervous or I'm extremely nervous, right? So giving them those options because they might not be able to even tell you that, but they could jot it down on the paper. And then that person that's, you know, seating the patient or talking them through the initial intake can, can bring it up and then can, you know, guide them through, you know, how they're feeling. And again, what might help make it better, because it might be something really simple that the team wouldn't have thought of if the patient had said, well, I'm just actually really freezing right now. Oh, great. Let's get you a blanket. Right. I mean, that, that one tiny thing, and we can talk about amenities too, because I love, I love talking about ways we can make the body feel better too, because that does help us feel better mentally, but ask patients too, what, what they might need to make them feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. And you, uh, this will also be in the intro, but you are a licensed psychologist as well. Uh, yes. Were you doing psychology before introduced to the dental world or dental and then psychology? So I met my husband when he was in dental school and I was an undergrad. And then I went into my master's program and then my educational specialist program while he was just starting out in dentistry. So I worked as a school psychologist for 10 years before working in our practice and really using that lens to impact dentistry. Um, so it kind of happened simultaneously, although I wasn't super involved in dentistry initially. I was, yeah. you know, it was in the background basically. But, you know, the big thing for me was working in the school setting. There are sensory rooms for kids to either give them more sensory or to reduce sensory. So when people and, you know, anybody, adult or child gets overwhelmed, some need more sensory and some need less sensory. And so that's sort of when it clicked for me that in dentistry specifically, we are assaulting their whole sensory system with all the things we're doing. And so if we can find a way to cater to their sensory system, we can make it a much more relaxing experience. And it can be you know, brought into other areas of healthcare as well, there's going to be certain aspects of the visit that are going to trigger that sensory system to go into fight or flight and the patient, whether they, you know, want to be there or not, their body is going to be giving them 
signals like this is not good. Get me out of here. Right. And I'm, I'm uncomfortable. And so if we can cater to that. It can be a markedly different experience. Mm. Yeah. Can you say more about that? The, because you do walk into the front of a medical clinic and I, you, you'd have to work hard to list out the things, but sometimes you feel great and comfortable and you can approach the person behind the, the glass wall. And sometimes you feel like, Hmm, this is basically a penitentiary. They don't want to talk to me. I don't <laughs> want to be here. It doesn't feel good. Can you, what, what are some of those specifics to, to warm up the atmosphere? Yeah. So, you know, right upon entry, I think one of the biggest things is scent. A lot of, you know, clinics there, you know, they have anesthetic and it's, it's a medical facility. So naturally that scent is a part of the atmosphere. And most of the people that work there probably don't even recognize it anymore because they're desensitized to it. But most patients as they walk in, that's a new, it's a new environment for them. Even if they're there every few months, it's still going to be a new sensory experience. If you can control scent in a positive way, nothing overbearing, but just not that typical hospital anesthetic smell that goes a long way. I think, you know, there's a lot of ways we can warm up the decor of the, the lobby, the area that you first walk into, whether it's using greenery, it's using, you know, water, even we have a huge TV in our lobby, which I was a little reluctant about because my husband's just loves TVs and, you know, it's his dream dental clinic. So we put this huge TV up and I was like, Oh, but what we what we put on it is is waterfalls and beautiful mountain scenes and and soft music that goes with it because nature brings out positive feelings and calmness for people and so rather than have HGTV or God forbid the news on right that's going to elevate people um, or give them get make them thinking about things they need to do in life let's give them something positive to look at we can also warm up the atmosphere with colors that that's a very inexpensive way to just change the feel of a, a space is to give it instead of white stark you know clinical looking walls we can paint and make it feel much more residential um it's still clean it's still uh you know a, a good solid sterile setting if you will but we can make it feel different with how we decorate the colors we use kind of the vibe we have going yeah, those are great. Um, you made me think of something. Oh, in the in, what about music? Background music. What do you say? Yeah, to that? So, so I actually in our lobby, I like to have what I call spa music going. It's kind of like acoustic. It's nothing. Um, it's it's just calming. Um, you can you know find it on any Amazon station or any of those streaming networks. And then I think for you know when patients are in a treatment room, if it's a situation where they're going to just be like conscious, not every, you know, not every situation they're going to be sedated, but if they're conscious and they have to kind of just sit there or lay there to be treated on for quite a while, if you can let them choose the music, that's great. I mean, giving people the option to find something that they enjoy is wonderful. Otherwise I think just having something on that's calm and, and mellow is, is, is great too. Yeah. Uh, that is great. Uh, I promise to make this snappy, so I'll wrap up. Can you tell a little bit about, uh, you know, if anyone listening thought that, hey, I think I want to talk to Jessica more about her consulting services. What what are those types of services that you offer? Yes, so I offer a, a patient experience accelerator program, which allows me to come into the clinic and really observe 
teams in action with patients, observe the flow and give them those pointers we were talking about, about, you know, hey, what if we moved this here? What if we changed this color? And then those are just the superficial things. But beyond that, I can really hone in on what aspects of their treatment will contribute to anxiety. And we can give them options for amenities to help reduce that sensory burden. Um, and so that's really particular to each setting, um, what that looks like. It could be neck wraps, it could be different pillows, it could be um, massages. There's certain, there's all kinds of different little strategies that I have that can either add positive sensory or remove negative sensory, but it really depends on how long the patient's with them. What does the treatment entail? Um, you know, what is, what does the visit look like and how we can work around that to make it efficient. It has to work into what's already being done. I, it's not about adding treatment time or elongating the schedule. I understand healthcare is we have to be efficient, but we can do so with little touches that are going to make the patient have a better experience. So that's one, one way I work with, um, healthcare setting professionals. And then the other way is to look at systems and it's not just typical healthcare systems. It's really looking at those systems through the lens of the patient experience. So, you know, what does it look like as the patient's checking in? What does it look like? What are those phone calls sound look like? What does the new patient paperwork look like? Checkout, billing, all of those, um, interactions that the team can have with a patient can be positive or negative. And so, looking at it through the lens of what is a patient uh, feeling when they're interacting in those situations and getting guiding the practice into how to improve that is, is another piece of the work that I do. And then specifically for dental, we talk about getting out of dental insurance networks, but I know that's, that's specific to dental healthcare has a whole other insurance uh, situation that I'm not, <laughs> I don't dive into. So. Yeah, sure. But I do think, yeah, for, for our audience, um, having the verbiage to introduce uh, treatment plans and paying out of pocket and, and all of that is extremely helpful. So uh, and yeah, I assume no, I, oh, you, do, you do this work and you go physically visit the clinic. Most of the time, um, it really depends on the situation, but I do find so much value in actually going on site and being with the team, not only for the training aspect, but also just to see them in action. There's usually ways we can either, I mean, always reinforce the positives so they continue to do those things that they're already doing great, but then just tweak some of the things that are happening that are hard to to, to be able to teach on if I'm not seeing it in person. Yeah. So almost always, but I'm, I'm open to negotiation. If someone doesn't want me to come on site, that's okay too. I just think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, that's great. These, yeah, some super helpful pointers. Um, yeah, I love this topic and appreciate you giving the time today. And I'll put all of your contact info when we post this. So anyone who's listening, feel free to reach out to Jessica directly. And Jessica, will hopefully, we'll, we'll do this again. Awesome. Thanks, Maddie. All right.